Hear now the words of the witches, the secrets we hid in the night, when dark was our destiny's pathway that now we bring forth into light. Mysterious water and fire, the earth and the wide-ranging air, by hidden quintessence we know them, and will and keep silent and dare. The birth and rebirth of all nature, the passing of winter and spring, we share with the life universal, rejoice in the magical ring, for times in the year the great Sabbath returns and the witches are seen, at Lamas and Candlemas dancing, on May Eve and old Halloween, when daytime and nighttime are equal, when sun is the greatest and least, the four lesser Sabbaths are summoned, again witches gather and feast, thirteen silver moons in a year are, thirteen is the coven's array, thirteen times as Espat make marry, for each golden year and a day. The power was passed down the ages, each time between woman and man, each century unto the other, ere time and the ages began. When drawn is the magical circle, by sword or athamay or power, its compass between two worlds lies, in land of the shades for that hour. The world has no right then to know it, and the world of beyond will tell not. The oldest of gods are invoked there, the great work of magic is wrought. For two are the mystical pillars that stand at the gate of the shrine, and two are the powers of nature, the forms and the forces divine, the dark and the light in succession, the opposites each unto each, show forth as a god and a goddess, of this did our ancestors teach. By night he's the wild wind's rider, the horned one the lord of the shades, by day he's the king of the woodland, the dweller in green forest glades. She is youthful and old as she pleases. She sails the torn clouds in her bark, the bright silver lady of midnight, the crone who weeps spells in the dark, the master and mistress of magic. They dwell in the deeps of the mind, immortal and ever knowing with power to free or to bind. So drink the good wine to the old gods, and dance and make love in their praise, till Elfame's fair land shall receive us in peace at the end of our days. And do what you will be the challenge, so be it in love that harms none. For this is our only commandment, by magic of old be it done. Eight words the witch's creed fulfill, if it harm none, do what you will. A Witch's Creed by Doreen Valiente Hello and welcome everyone to the Feast of Torches. I'm your host Azazel, and on today's episode we have two special guests. We have uh, Alex and Eric. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Eric, you want to go first? My name is Eric. I'm a Gardnerian initiate living in Seattle. I'm also the host of the Twisted Way, one of the hosts of the Twisted Ways podcast. And I've known Justin for ages <laughs> hi i'm alex um i am a gardnerian initiate for i think three or four years um for that um i'm a high priest of um celtic traditional squithinade for many years 
um, been practicing witchcraft for like over 20. Um, I am not a podcast person, so that's the difference between everybody else here. <laughs> Wait, you said you're initiate of what? That's what we call like the Welsh tradition, like my line of Welsh tradition. It's Celtic um, traditionalist with an aid. I would spell that out for you, but it's very long. <laughs> I heard Celtic traditionalist lemonade. With an aid. With G W. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I'll send you the spelling later. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a third degree, right? Yeah, they have four degrees in mine, so I am a high priest. I have I have the fourth degree. <laughs> There's the secret fourth degree. I knew it was somewhere. It is. It's always in an offshoot somewhere. Yeah, I mean, at some shoot, um, some offshoots of um, Alexandrian have it. You know that, right? Some line. Mm-hmm. I don't know which ones. Don't ask me. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. As three priests, well, I guess high priests of the Gardnerian tradition, um, and the Celtic. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Welsh tradition. Yeah. Um, how do you guys define worship? Um, for me personally, I mean, we can go by the Merriam-Webster's version of what it is. It's, you know, reverence and adoration for a deity or spiritual entity. Um, but to me, I always just see it as, I mean, the way we do things like having ritual and celebration in honor of the gods mm-hmm. um, and the community that that brings us. Eric? I would agree. Um, I don't think that worship necessarily needs to concern the gods. I think we can have worship of objects or people, which can, of course, get a little dicey. Mm-hmm. But worship, I think, is is an ecstatic adoration of a concept or an idea, whether that be a god or something sexual or a food or however you wish. I think that worship takes us outside of ourselves and enters into into this thing beyond ourselves. Hmm. Yeah, for me, like I, I guess I agree with uh, Merriam-Webster's definite, like the definition, <laughs> textbook definition of what worship is. Um, I think, and also, I think also another part of that as well is understanding, at least um, in my own practice and my own understanding of not just this tradition but the craft itself. A lot of it is, you know, recognizing that along with worshiping, you know, things as you know, that can be outside of yourself, like as the gods, um, a lot of it is finding, you know, worship in yourself and finding that honor in, you know, who you are. And I think that it's, at least for my understanding of the practice is a lot of that is, you know, the self-expression and being able to be your true self is in, is in itself an act of worship to the gods. It's like you're, you're to understand the completeness that is them you have to understand yourself and in that process is can be seen as like an offering or can be seen as an act of worship itself 
Um, I was reading like John Beckett's book on, he was talking about worship and how like different strands of paganism worship. Mm-hmm. And he always, he categorized um, Wicca specifically as something of a self-centered worship. And, you know, you, you hear that and you're like, well, what do you mean by that? That's kind of weird. But in essence, like what we do, it's kind of that, like we worship the gods, but we're also like the way we go through the degrees or how I understand it is it's a self-centered way of like, like if you want to put it evolving to a higher state of being Mm -hmm. or getting through what you're supposed to go through in order to attain what you're supposed to attain. And Mm -hmm. I was like, he's absolutely right. And it's kind of like we're worshiping the gods, but we're also, it's a self-worship of ourselves. I think it's a matter of worshiping the gods through each other. You know, there is no part of us that is not of the gods. A lot of our worship is very intimate and physical, physicality. There's a quote from Victor Anderson that came to mind that it's something like, um, let me see in, in the woman as in a sense your divine incarnation and to see in myself the divine god and lover to take from wife or harlot to the cup and it's funny because like we talk about worship in terms of like the gods and everything and certain entities but we kind of do it every day normally like when someone has a birthday or a wedding comes up or you know somebody dies like we literally celebrate and adore and revere the people that that like that event is for so we innately do it but people just don't call it worship yeah it kind of reminds me of when uh i was watching a documentary about um kind of like i guess the ancient peoples of the the first humanoids um you know going back to even like around like the neanderthal times um that we would essentially, I guess we as humanoids would, uh, even though we didn't have this understanding of communication or, or anything, they would still bury their dead. And it was still, you know, seen as an act of reverence for, you know, even though I guess they're dead now, they're not just like something you can just throw away. Like we're still going to bury them. And so we're going to honor them, have a sort of grave site for them. Um, and I've always found that really interesting that, you know, it's always something that's ingrained in us to find something to have more meaning to. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about before about like Wicca as being like the self-centered act of worship. You know, if you look at just our circle and how we view the high priest and the high priestess to be representations of the god and goddess, like they're physically there in your circle through them. And then when you go through your training, you're kind of like gaining, slowly gaining that understanding of we are also part of the gods. Yes, I very much agree with that. And it's um, funny because, you know, a lot of the rites that we do is tailored towards the gods and like the high priest and the high priestess do that. But I think as time evolved with Wicca and paganism in general, those rites were not enough. And you start seeing more like marriage rites and you see like funerary rites because yes, we worship the gods, but I think not that people were really thinking about that, but like the worship or the reverence for other parts of life that we experience as people, people start recognizing, oh, we need more for this. So 
worship may be where we start out when we start in Wicca, but I think that like that kind of expands more as time goes on. At least we I've seen it in the way things have evolved with just what we practice. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but if you know what I'm getting at. <laughs> it it does. When when we were looking up the etymology of the word worship, it is the condition of being worthy or something with distinction or honor. And we are inclined to honor the cycles of our life from birth to marriage, to aging, to sex, to death. We, we honor and we find time to sanctify those moments. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I think, I, not I think, uh, I was having a conversation with my partner who's, uh, who's an atheist, and he was saying how, like, he kind of respects that I don't try to, like, push the religion on him in any way, shape, or form. And he was asking me how, I guess, I guess because, you know, when not all, like, Christians and Catholics do this, but there are a few of them that kind of, like, you're not living your life if you're not, you know, experiencing God or, or whatever. And I, and, you know, I really sat and thought about that. And I was, I was just like, I don't view that it is important to push that upon people mostly because, you know, even if I wasn't in circle and actively trying to commune with the gods or actively giving them offerings or whatever, um, my understanding of what the gods are, me simply living my life, like, to you know the highest extent is, uh, that I can is an act of the gods you know is in honor of them you know me you know them being the gods of life and death and and nature you know me simply going to work and gaining money so that I can do the things that I want to do and you know enjoy the hobbies that I want to enjoy you know simply enjoying life itself is an act of the gods and I feel like whether you recognize that as being that's what that is um, I still think that, you know, that's a beautiful thing for me. So here's a question. What is the difference between worship and veneration? Um, I think veneration would be more of an, I guess, would be more of an active thing. Whereas, you know, if you're going to go venerate something, you're specifically either going to go to a place or go to something that's sacred to you to honor a specific entity or, or I guess, expression of will, um, you know, whether that, like you were saying before, whether that be through sex or through food or just other people, uh, it's, it's a simple act that you do, or it's a, it's a conscious act that you do. I mean, so basically like worship is the umbrella term and reverence is like a subdivision of that. Mm -hmm. We worship, but in the umbrella of worship, we can, there's other things underneath that and reverence is one of them. That's how I would put it. So in the common, I guess, ecosphere that is the many witchy communities, um, you know, there's constant talk about, you know, working with your gods or working with gods or spirits. And how do you view that to be different from worship? I mean, it's interesting because uh, even in our community, and I know everyone thinks that we're always on the same page about certain things, but there are a ton of Gardnerians that don't believe the gods are divine beings. Like some of them think that they're archetypes. Some think that, you know, they're just some kind of thought form that situation where it's just like, well, Oh, you guys practice the same thing. You must agree. Like you must agree on the same thing. And that's not the case. 
Um, so when I hear, oh, I work with, I don't worship, um, to me, it's the same thing. But to someone else that has like that division of, well, I don't think the God's this way will probably delineate the two, in my opinion. If I work with a deity, I'm also worshiping them, in my opinion. Um, but again, that's been my experience. I know a lot of people that work with spirits, but they don't worship them. They're just like, there's a give and take relationship there. Um, yeah, I think the give and take part of the working is very important. In when, when people say that they're working with a god, I'm going to assume that they're allowing that god to influence their life or that or rather that they are being an active participant in that and taking on or doing things in service of that god or goddess that deity that they're taking on the philosophies of that god and incorporating that into their life somehow yeah this question is something that's i've kind of battled with for i mean battles is a bit of a strong word but uh have, I've had a lot of trouble like figuring out for myself because um, I used to define, you know, what my craft was is like, oh, I don't worship my gods. I, I work with them. And I remember I had a student um, about a year or so ago ask me, you know, why do we say that we work with the gods or uh, instead of like worship them? You know, as a religion, we should be worshiping them or or, or whatever. And I remember I came up with this amazing answer that I pulled right out of my ass when she asked me that. Um, and I think it was along the lines of, um, you know, in, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about like our understanding of the gods being in circle with us is, you know, we don't view them to be higher entities. They're not above us. They're not, you know, out of space or out of time, you know, up in the, up in the clouds, they are there with us. And we are doing, we are working, um, you know, whatever magical rite or whatever uh, spell or, or, you know, whatever with them in that circle. You know, we are building that bridge between, you know, when we cast circle, we're building that bridge between the worlds to meet them halfway. You know, there's, there's no, you're better than me simply because you're a god. You know, there's an equal understanding of that. And as I've grown a little bit more or had a thought about this a little bit more, you know, within my own practice and understanding of the craft itself, it, I find it to be like, I've, now my answer would be changed because like, I feel like at this point, there is a bit of a difference um, when we're, you know, as priests of these gods, there is a, an extent to where, you know, it is an act of worship. It is an act of veneration and honoring the sacredness between not only each other, but also the gods. It's not just, you know, this give and take relationship. It's not just I'm using you for this purpose. And that's the only reason you're here. And I think that the concept of working with a deity, I think a part of it comes from the escapism that a lot of newer people have towards the craft, when they're uh, either leaving Christianity or leaving some sort of um, religion that they felt was oppressive to where they had to feel that, you know, they had to bow down before this God. When you give them the options like, oh, we're not worshiping them or working with them. It gives them a better understanding of level playing field in my 
understanding of who this being is. And I think that I'm not going to say this is true for everybody, but I think at some point there is a, a bit of a flip to where how you understand what it is that you're actually doing. And uh, that really ties into like how when you, you come from a religion like Christianity, which I personally came from, um, you have someone else doing all that communication for you. You have the priests who is there on his little pulpit telling you, this is how God wants you to do things. There's no, hey, I'm a priest or priestess. I'm going to teach you how to do these things for yourself. But you can do this on your own time. You don't really need me to do those things to connect with the gods. So I think that's the difference between what we do and what Christianity does. And I think that when people say work with, that's also a good example of that. You're working with your, you know, high priest, high priestess, but that connection with the gods is there. So you can work with them, quote, air quotes, um, on your own time and in your own way. So going forward into that, uh, how would you define what it means to be a priest of the gods or I guess a priest in general, really? I mean, I've always thought about this question, to be honest. Um, Honestly, people may disagree with me on this, but like. I'm just a guide and a teacher to show you how we do things. Like how if you come for training in Gardnerian, this is how we do our ways. And this is how like I was taught before me. And if there's something that I've added to that, I'd be like, well, this is the way I do things. And how you're going to do it eventually is going to be different overall. Um, I'm a guide as in like, I'm guiding you through this. Um, And at the end of the day, I am not going to sit there and tell you what to do. I'm just telling you how to do it. Um, You can take that how you want. Some people have a different opinion about that, but I'm just the go between, between what the gods are supposed to be telling me to do. Is this person right for us? Are they going to make it that far? Or, you know, it's just a matter of, I'm just like, the mouthpiece for the time being. They may not be right for us. They may be, but that just time will tell on that. And I'm just that go-between. I'm not any better or worse. I'm just that, I'm just there as a guide and a teacher. That's it. I, I agree. I think that as priests and priestesses of, of our specific religion, but any religion, um, they are there as facilitators of the teachings of that religion. For us in particular, I always think, like, who are we priests of, exactly? Like, who are we priesting to? Because we don't have a congregation. We don't have lay witch cult people. My, My high priest always encourages me to participate in the philosophies of the gods out there in the world, even though I'm, even though the people that I'm doing those things in front of or those philosophies in front of may not know why I'm doing them. It's just part of who I am. I've just incorporated those things into my life. You know, I think that we, by, by transforming ourselves, we can help transform the, the small little nine foot circles around us and hope that the people in that nine foot circle will transform their nine foot circle and so on and so on and so forth. But we as priests are facilitators of those of the teachings of the gods and of our specific traditions. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree to that. Um, I think for me, the I don't know, I, I don't fully 
see it as solely an act of, I guess, an act of like showing or an act of guidance to people. Uh, I don't, I guess I don't consider that part to be the teaching aspect of it. Um, I think that it can obviously be a part of it, you know, simply because, you know, we're in circle and there are other people there with you that are, that are learning. But I think the act of being a priest itself is, you know, I guess going back to that understanding of we are a self-centered religion <laughs> where, you know, again, like you were saying, you know, we don't have a congregation. We don't have a lay people that we offer our services to, whether they be, you know, marriages or, or, uh, or funeral rites where we, I mean, we can do those things. Um, but, you know, we don't have these concepts like, you know, a Wiccan Pope or a, uh, a clergy or um, there's like, there's no act of officiation where you're legally certified to be this thing and you can sign marriages. I mean, you can do that, obviously, but, you know, we don't have those simply because I feel like those are meant mostly for the group itself, not necessarily for people outside of the group where, I mean, you could, if you wanted to, but it's, I don't think that was the purpose of those rites. Um, and I think a lot of that is having that, or I guess building that community between the quote unquote, the brotherhood of priests itself and building that own understanding within yourself of, we don't need that, I guess, external person to build that connection to the gods. You know, we are that connection to the gods and in the simple act of doing other people are understanding and catching on, you know, within that circle, within their training. Whereas I think the act of being a teacher is something solely separate because I don't think that, you know, I don't think that everybody that is brought into the tradition is meant to be a teacher. Um, a lot of, I feel like a lot of people come into it with the understanding of, okay, now I'm a high priestess. Now I can teach this to other people, but a lot of people don't understand what actually goes into teaching and how to teach people. Um, not, uh, not everybody has the capability of teaching people. And yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> I mean, but how cool would it be if we like had a priestess of the moon crown on like a big pulpit, like pride rock officiating to the entire, like land and sea and no. all these people come to watch no absolutely not i i that think would create our, so much chaos it would it would i i think for our tradition in particular we work best in small cells small mm -hmm. covens if you will i don't think our tradition has ever been meant for the masses i think our tradition has always drawn the people to it who have felt a call to those mysteries or, or felt a call to mystery of, of life and death and other things. Um, and that mystery has expressed itself in various different ways. Ours is just one way of exploring those mysteries. And as much as I tried to make like my term of what a priest is modest, there's a certain amount of ego that someone has. I mean, not saying that it's a bad amount of ego, but like to say, hey, I'm a priest. I'm going to tell you the things. Like, 
there's a fair amount that you need to do that because again, not everyone's a teacher, not yeah. everyone assume that role, but you have to have some kind of ego to make that happen. I mean, if you even look in the history of like Gardnerian and like the first priestesses, they have, a, they have, some of them have a large amount of ego, but there's some there and there's some that's just, it's healthy to get what you need to get done. I think titling or when we're, when we're bestowed with that title and also the title, which that unlocks life force. And sometimes that can express itself as kind of an ego, um, an ego run, mm -hmm. running away with your ego type of thing. Um, <clears throat> and it does, of course it does. Of course it, it, it bestows power upon us to be able to, to do the things that we do to call down the gods, call up spirits and, and, and pass those teachings on. Uh, we were talking about not everyone is cut out to be a teacher. I think that's true. However, I think our tradition is unique in that I don't think you necessarily have to be a good teacher. The student just has to follow, follow the things do X, Y, and Z and it will work for them. You know, we, we hear a lot about our, our early elders, like Doreen Valiente, she just came into it and just kind of learned on the job. She didn't know what she was doing. It still worked. Granted, she had a, had, had a lot of experience before that with other mystic traditions, but I think that's what makes our tradition so unique, is that it's for, it is for the everyday person to just pick up and go. Just not everyone is called to it. I would agree with what Eric says because, um, I mean, I've I've been in like my covenant, my other tradition. My high priestess was very. I mean, she's not a scholar by any means, and should tell you herself. But her whole thing was the experience and getting to do everything on the job, like doing the things and like learning that way, because you learn more than reading it out of the book. Hundred percent. Um, and I, when I found when I when I assumed like the high priest role, that stuff came more easily because I had been learning it that way for so long. And it's just like I wanted you to hear it and learn it that way because it's going to be easier for you to catch as opposed to reading it out of a book. Where I mean, ritual is we're doing actions, and you know you may memorize the words but actually doing it is two separate things and you might get slung up on oh i have to do this too and that really stood with me and as opposed to now where i'm in a coven where academics are a thing and people know a lot of stuff but it's really helped me like in the ritual mindset where i excel in this area but the academics will come in time that's something that i will attain as time goes over but that practice is timeless. You always need it. I think it's also a feeling as well. Like you can read a ritual on a piece of paper, but unless you experience it, you're never going to know what that ritual actually does. And then when you're doing the ritual and then you do it later, you can always recall those feelings that you had from the first time you did it so that it gets more powerful and more powerful and more powerful as you go. Now, Moving on from that, you know, prior to initiation, how did you guys, did you, was, did you guys define yourselves to be priests or, um, 
you know, did you feel, you know, simply the act of venerating a specific deity, you know, outside of Wicca, um, was that something that you would consider to be, uh, you know, you are the priest of that deity or um, do you feel like the act of initiation is, or the act of being trained by somebody who's a priest makes you a priest? Not necessarily. I did not consider myself a priest before I was initiated, only because I was not facilitating the, the teachings of the gods that I was working with, or worshipping, venerating, etc. Now I refer to myself as a priest, but only within that context. When I'm just wandering around or doing ritual with my housemates, I don't refer to myself as a priest. Unless I'm doing priesty things. Um, what was your second part of the question? <laughs> I forgot. Oh, yes. So, does... Can a priest only make a priest? I'm not certain, because we, we see solitary devotees of Hecate who are priestesses or priests, but I think they are only priestesses and priests because they're they're doing acts of service in the name of their gods for other people. So it's more that the gods have bestowed that title upon them. But that title comes with a ton of responsibilities, you know. Is, is the lone person who doesn't communicate with a community or is not part of a community, are they a priest just unto themselves? I would say, um, depending on the person, yes. Because uh, I think if you, you know, go, speaking specifically of like priests of Hecate or priestesses, priests and priestesses of Hecate um, or of any deity, really, I think that simple act of, I guess, delineation of, you know, this is my patron god or goddess um and i work with them in honor of them and everything that i do is to build that that bridge between me and this and and this deity um i think that in itself can you know give somebody the quote-unquote moniker of of priest um i don't however having said that i will say that I, i don't think that simply working with a a specific deity a lot would give you that would give you that title um i think it's it's a specific act of building that bond between you and that goddess than just this is a deity that i work with a lot and i i use her for my spells and and um i call her down in ritual um I, th- I feel like there's a lot more that goes into that than simply the quote-unquote basics of magical practice. For me, before I got initiated, I just considered myself a witch. Like, I didn't see myself as a priest. But I agree with you, Eric, about how priests or priestesses are in service to their deity and how they're doing something for the community um, of, you know, whatever deity they're they're worshiping um, and speaking of, but I just never considered myself a priest until I got initiated. And at that point where priest and witch, 
Um, I think where that delineates the two, like a priest is a part of an organization or not so much. I mean, obviously, or in service to that community. And I think that that word of service is there. Like there has to be that there, at least in my mind, to be a priest. Again, people could disagree with me. But um, I mean, if you're just doing stuff like you're personally doing it, and it's just for your own like magical practice. I just wouldn't define that as a priest. I mean, that's fair. I mean, it, honestly, this talk really makes me go back and cringe into my memories of being this 14 year old kid, you know, working with other witchy friends. And because I was the most serious of the group, you know, I, I was the priest. <laughs> I was the priest of the gods. Um, and it, I, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, though, like it wasn't until I actually got initiated and understood what being part of a priesthood was, did I really know the difference? I'm like, oh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a priest back then. Like, I was just like bullshitting around and trying to do the best as like the best that I can. Sure, but it wasn't to the full extent of what constitutes being a priest to a specific deity or deities it's funny because um you know a lot of people that are just coming to this like they just assume like sometimes like i'm I'm not speaking for everybody that comes into this but some people believe oh this person's a high priest or a high priestess like they must have all the power in the world and you know thinking that they're it's all about them but in actuality uh, it's as much as i have experienced it stops being more about me and pretty much the people that are in my group. I do this because of them, obviously, and the gods too, but more for mm-hmm. them. And it stops really being about me. Like at this point where I would be at, I would be more in the service of my community and making sure that I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing for them, not so much for my own benefit. Mm-hmm. Well, can we talk about something shady? Yes. <laughs> something that really bothers me that I've been seeing on TikTok. Oh God! I got, I got the, I got the finger going. So you know I'm serious about this. <laughs> Something that really bothers me that I see on TikTok is, is, is how people talk to their gods. And I mean, it, I mean, TikTok is mostly teenagers. So, like for example, I think I know um, about this. There was this young woman who had three candles. And one of them was a Loki candle and it broke while she was doing her video. And she was, she was like, um, Oh, Loki's broke again. That fucking asshole. I was like, okay. (laughs) Why do you talk to your God like that? Or, or the people that claim that their gods talk to them and tell them to get certain lingerie and things like that. That's just an example. What, what is your opinion about that level of communication with the gods? Because I have yet for the horn god to tell me what type of lingerie I should wear. And I feel like I'm missing out. So I will say, though, that... And, and Hecate is the only one that I do this with. And I don't know why it's solely her. But a lot of times... One, she does a lot of creepy shit sometimes. Two... I tend to curse her out a lot (laughs) and it's not so like, I feel like that's just the relationship that I've built with her. Um, 
like she can, she can be a little aggressive a lot of the time. And I don't really find that to be the case with the, I guess the gods of the Wicca, uh, mostly because, and not to say that, that I respect them more than I respect her. I, I definitely respect Hecate immensely, but sometimes she needs to calm her shit. <laughs> but I, 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 I agree with you that I don't see, I, and some of the things that I've seen on TikTok, like there was a specific video going around where this woman was essentially saying, you know, I refute your gods and the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like people were just going around like, oh, like, what do your gods say to this woman? And so everybody would take a video and of them just like listening to her and like their gods would be like talking like, oh, this bitch doesn't know anything like ha 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 I laugh in her face of her god blah 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 um and for that me I mean for me that sounds ridiculous I've never had my gods talk to me in my in my ear like that um not to say that that doesn't happen that might happen for some people but I think a lot of people tend to how can I say this in a way that doesn't make me sound like an asshole uh I think people take (laughs) think very highly of themselves in the way that they communicate with their gods in a sense of, I need to be overtly extra about this because that's going to make me seem more legitimate. And I think that happens a lot with a lot of things on TikTok, not just simply deity worship. I think the gods also, when, when they're talking to us, it, we filter it through our own understanding of the world around us. So for me, like I'm a pretty studious guy. When I experience the gods communicating to me, it it tends to be in certain images and poetry and and sensations and things like that. And less so direct words that are kind of in the in the vernacular and colloquial, but a younger person might just experience it that way. I don't know. I've never been a young person. So I don't know. Um, you old bitch. <laughs> for me, um, I've always like, it's a private practice. Like it's between you and the gods. Like, so it should be private. What you do with that practice to tell the world is a whole different story. And that's when, that comes into play. And I don't think it has anything to do with the gods. It has to do with you and your ego showing mm-hmm. the world what you do. It's like when you show people your business, you know, that that's on your own ego. But um, I mean, everyone can do what they want to do. I mean, if you want to show people your personal practice, but you open yourself up to people calling you a sham. I mean, mm-hmm. we, I'm pretty sure we can all say that, like there are things that we do for our gods that, no one's going to understand why we do it, why they communicate the way they do. But but that's for us. That's not for people. That's for what we do and what mm-hmm. how we communicate with them. If someone wants to like air that, air that out to people, you're going to come under attack from anybody not agreeing with you because their experience is different. So at the end of the day, it is a private practice. So people should keep it that way. But again... You won't learn if you don't know about other people's stuff. So, you know, what do I know? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. I think that there should be a level of discretion um, when talking about, you know, your your own personal practice, mostly because, you know, this goes back to the understanding of, you know, the whole elemental thing, you know, to keep silent earth. And I think some things are meant to stay between you and the gods, Um whether that be what you experience in circle, whether that be what you, when you experience, you know, during through dreams or through visions or, or whatever, um, a lot of it is mostly for you to figure out yourself, not just, hey, let me, you know, I saw this one thing, I don't know what it means, let me post this on Facebook or whatever, have other people figure this out for me, and don't take the time for that self reflection and understanding of why was I shown this thing? Um, you know, just because I guess the metaphysical definition of, Oh, an owl means this thing doesn't necessarily mean that's why that showed up in your dream or why that showed up in your vision. Um, and I think people tend to look outside for answers when they should be looking internally. Completely agree. Um, that made me think of, we see it all the time on the various groups that we're in on Facebook. I saw an owl. I had a dream about this, this or that or that. Is this specific God reaching out to me? What What are your thoughts about, about those type of questions? How do you know when a God is reaching out to you versus you read something about them and now you're just thinking about them constantly? I love what my high priestess has said. She wrote it in her book and she said, you can't know anything about a God that you've never read about. And that's really how I see it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very true. I mean, like, if you're looking into a specific deity, and then you start seeing signs of them everywhere, you know, a lot of times you're not putting across the connections that, yes, owls have, you know, a connection with Athena, but also owls have connections with Lilith, who is the complete opposite of Athena. And like, depending on who you were just reading about is who you're going to go towards. And I think a lot of people tend to take coincident, well, coincidences. I forgot, fucking forgot how to say this word. Coincidences. Coincidences a little too seriously. And sometimes a fly is just a fly. I think we we've said before, like an omen is only an omen when you're looking for an omen. Oh yeah, you said that on your podcast, and I thought that was I did amazing. say that on my podcast. <laughs> uh, I I think I think so too. I mean, and I haven't read a beginner pagan witchcraft book in a very long time, but I remember some of the early ones that I read. And they would have lists of deities, and they would have little blurbs about them. And I, I think that I think we are drawn to the gods that we have an affinity with in our personalities. And it is we who choose. I think it's more that we make the conscious choice to move towards those gods with whom we have an affinity. Much like we're drawn towards certain people. Gods are very similar to people. Some of them once were people. Um, 
I think it's a bit of both. I think the God is the gods are reaching out to us constantly all the time. They're speaking to us all the time. And we come across a moment while reading or while watching a television program or while having a conversation with someone that makes our souls and our hearts and our minds go, I'm going to follow this thread for a little while. And it, it's, it comes from inside, like you said, it's an, it's an inner knowing. And I, I think, I think the one thing that young witches and pagans and magicians can learn is that you don't need someone else's, someone else to validate you. All your validation is, is in here, is inside yourself. Preach, preach, peace, priest. That's, preach. that's what the modern pagan <laughs> revival is all about, is that you don't need someone up on a pulpit validating your experiences. You, you can do that yourself completely. That just comes with age and experience, and that's not something that you can really teach. To be honest, Are you calling me old? Is that... Yes. Yes. <laughs> As the youngest one here, I can call you old. Yes. How old are you? I'm 27. I'm ageless. I'm going on your Facebook right now to find out your age. I don't think I have my date on there, but I am 30. He's 30, flirty, and thriving. That's right. Bitches, I got you all beat by two years. I'm 32, first of all. I'm the oldest. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you are. But you look like a child, so. There you, you go. Do, you do look like a child. Gift of thoughts. It's all the baby's blood he's bathing in. Exactly. Because that's what we're calling it now. Alrighty. I feel like Eric completely missed that. He totally did. What, what did I miss? I'm sorry. No, I said that's all the baby's blood he's bathing in, because that's what we're calling it now. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Listen, if it was good enough for Cleopatra, it's good enough for me. Oh. <laughs> Man, no, that just sounds gross. Very musty smell. Oof. That pearl necklace up the neck. <laughs> <laughs> How many strands? How many strands? Oh, here's a here's a question. What are ways that one can begin to cultivate a relationship with the gods? Whatever the god they might, they, whatever god they might be drawn to. Um, I would say one. Um, I think one of the first things that somebody coming into the craft, or you know, even somebody who's been in the craft for a while. Uh, a good thing to practice on a consistent basis is an understanding of one energy to your own psychic abilities. Um, you know, you can be talking to the gods every day for a year, but if you can't understand them on an energetic or psychic level, you're not going to hear anything. You're not going to see anything. You're not going to, you know, you're not really going to be gaining anything from it. And I think, what is it? Um, Matt Aron's book, Psychic Witch, really is one book that I do recommend specifically because it does heavily go into developing your psychic abilities because otherwise, you, you know, you could, again, you could be calling something for however long and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make that connection. Um Go ahead. I have another book that I'm reading right now that I also highly recommend for a slightly different reason. 
It's called um, How to See Fairies by Ramsey Dukes. Hmm. And I like it because the exercises aren't all Mm woo-woo. They're very much about your sensory experience. Yeah. Because I think a lot of psychic development exercises are very visual. Yeah. Auras. Or very oral as well. Hearing things. I I tend to feel things unlike my skin or or just a sensation an emotion that i get and i also tend to like see things like in the trees or something like i'll notice a pattern that a tree is a tree leaf is making and that will be a sign rather than like a psychic vision Mm -hmm. so i highly recommend that one too for for those who maybe have aphantasia or something what was that one called again it's called How to See Fairies by Ramsey Dukes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go and reiterate what my good friend Tim Regan told me. is It's not a book, but it's going into the mirror and basically saying, I'm psychic. And do that every day. And eventually you're going to believe it. And then you're going to start doing the things. You're going to start doing the tarot and everything. And you will get there. It just takes amount of time. And he's absolutely right. He's done this with a ton of people and they're like, holy shit, that worked. So I'm going to give him credit because he told me that. <laughs> That's exactly what du- Ramsey Duke's book is all about. Is make it till you make it. If it's, it's asking yourself, if I were psychic, what would that look like? If I could see auras, what would that look like? And just and, and just playing a game with yourself. I, I've read so many psychic book books on on developing your intuition, and that's all that they're about. They're just playing a game with yourself. I think Matt Oren talks about that in his book as well. Mm-hmm. I think at like the end of the day, when people want to cultivate their own worship of the gods, like do your reading, but also see what works. Like just do it. Like people get hung up on oh, am I doing this right? Or am I doing this wrong? Or to be honest, like a lot of those types of worship that the people were doing back then, we may not be able to do. And like, how are you going to modernize that? Like we live in the now. We don't live in ancient Greece. We don't Mm -hmm. live in Celts. And, you know, that's a whole nother umbrella. Like we don't live in those times so how we can worship is going to be completely different like we can't go and slaughter a big ox you know and like you know dig on the grounds like for the chthonic deities to like feast on like we can't do that i mean you can if you like live on a farm but for a city dweller like me i'm not gonna do that so we a lot of people get pent up on all that stuff that they read i'm just like Develop something yourself. No one again. It's your personal practice. It's not something that's a tradition. It has to be the right way. It's your own practice. So first thing to do is practice. Do it. Like you can't. You're gonna sit behind a book all day or read whatever you read on the internet. Just do it. Just you know, shit or get off the pot. <laughs> and I just have this image of you, you in the middle of the streets of Brooklyn, and just like slaughtering a bull. <laughs> And probably nobody's going to phase at it. They're like, what the fuck? This is fine. This is New York. (laughs) Um, But, you know, going going off of that, having the understanding that in the times of, you know, antiquity and people were still honoring and venerating their gods, 
they a lot of people couldn't read and couldn't uh you know there weren't a variety of books just lying about everywhere where somebody could pick up this practice or or whatever a lot of the individual cults that were started to these deities you know a lot of that was just ecstatic practice um doing things that felt you know within your own intuition that felt right in the moment for those deities and not focusing too much on am i getting the words right um am i getting this pronunciation right um and you know am i doing things in the right order you know stop worrying so much about that and just do the thing in whatever way that 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 it takes form and being okay with that um a lot of times you know i'll go into a ritual where you know, I'll write all these fancy things out. No, well, that's a complete lie. Um, I'll go into a ritual with words already set up <laughs> and how I'm supposed to do it in a layout that I'm supposed to do it. And in the middle of the ritual, like that all gets thrown out and I'm just doing the thing in what feels right in that moment. Um, and I think a lot of people tend to neglect their own intuition in times of sacred space. Um in lieu of getting the structure and getting things quote unquote right. Like, and honestly, if you think about like, for instance, um, Catholicism, let's, let's use that as an example, how mm-hmm. the cross is like this big image and full of power and all this stuff because, you know, Christ died on it and all that jazz that has like its own morphic resonance. And they believe wholeheartedly that this is going to protect them from evil and all of those things, but that had to start somewhere with somebody. Mm-hmm. If you think about it like that, you're like, damn, then I could do that myself. Like I can put an image there. Like this is the, this is the representation of the God or goddess that you're worshiping or spirit and put that power there. And eventually that, that resonance is going to build up over time. But again, you just, you have to start it on your own. And I think Mm -hmm. that people really get caught up in like that perfection of what other people did before them. And Mm -hmm. someone had to start something. Just because it's older doesn't necessarily make it better. Correct. You know, I think going back to, you know, what you were saying, even going to a more recent time where we look at, you know, witches and, and magicians such as Crowley and Gardner, you know, their stuff yes they 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 were inspired by certain things but there was also a lot of creation in that in you know making these rituals making the structure of how this is going to work um and while we personally find power in the greater web that all of everybody else is doing somewhat similar things working with that same energy um you know those things started somewhere and it was one man creation of these rituals you know it wasn't just the goddess didn't come down from this from the gods or i guess up from the ground and was like here are the rituals you're gonna do this thing now (laughs) this is the way you will do it forever and you may not expand upon this at all i mean i personally would have loved like a grand book to like come out of the concrete of the sidewalk then it's going to crack if it gets too cold. Like, that's a lot of issues. We should make a rumor. <laughs> <laughs> I 
think we've done enough. It'll make it'll make Gavin really mad. I feel like Gavin gets mad at a lot of things. I love it. Everything brings me joy. It does bring me joy. His anger does bring me joy. Yeah, he's an Alexandrian, um, and he has opinions. <laughs> Lots I mean, of them. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean nothing. So, just like assholes, there's a lot of them. <laughs> Some are shinier than others. Well, that's why they're called bussies. God, but how did I know that that was gonna come up? My munt. No, my Please. shiny munt. You set yourself up for that, okay? I remember getting like getting out of the car when I got here, and I was like, "Eric's gonna bring up fucking Munt." I only brought up Munt because he said "bussy," so you can blame Alejandro over there. <laughs> My friend was talking about "bussy," and like he said it just at the right time, and. My friend came like came up to say he's like, Oh, anyone call my name? I was like She's gonna title this podcast now, Worship or Buzzy. <laughs> it's like, why not both? <laughs> fair. Fair point. What was the other question? I feel like we went off on a tangent. Oh, I was at I the question was originally how to culti- how to start cultivating a relationship with deity. Like, like Alex was saying, you know, do the thing. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much that. Like, I don't think it needs to be explained in some fanciful way. Do the thing is literally <laughs> it's just, like, just do the thing, um, which can be. And I will say for this from personal experience, it can be a difficult thing to just do the thing. It's not something that is going to be simple. Um, you know, I think. A cert, a, a fair amount of reading will help but if you're not putting it into any sort of practice and actually building your own practice i'm not just basing your practice off of somebody else's practice um you know i think you will find that you'll grow a a fonder connection i guess to your craft um because i think a lot of people tend to view the craft as simply just a practice and not an extension of the self. You know, my, like my athame, my athame, for example, is not simply just my athame. It's not just a knife, a ritual knife that I use in circle. You know, it is an extension of me and I have a connection with this tool because I use it in this way. Um, and that goes for literally any other part of your practice, whether it be, you know, just the things that you have on your altar. Um, I mean, that's I, that is another thing that I did want to touch on a bit. Um, how do you feel about the placement of things on the altar or on any altar, whether it be a devotional altar, whether it be a working altar? Um, do you? Because I've seen lots of altars of, and mostly from younger people, um, but for me personally, I feel like there is a level of respect that doesn't really get put towards the altar space itself. Um, Like I've seen people put like Hello Kitty figurines on their altar because they think it looks pretty. And for me personally, you know, obviously I don't have a connection with Hello Kitty and how that connects to my craft. Um, 
they may have that connection. But I also feel like if you're going to have things on your altar, they have to be functional, not just for aesthetic or not just because it makes you feel good um, to some extent. I mean, Hello Kitty is pretty powerful. I mean, you got all the power and she has no mouth. Like, that's some power there, man. Fair. My God. Um, I think that altars, I think they need to capture attention. Mm -hmm. Whether that, and I mean, that can be just your attention or the attention of the gods or the spirits that are dwelling around the altar. Because you can make an altar that's hidden in plain sight, but it still captures your attention, your attention specifically, or the attention of the gods. Um, I think an altar needs to to capture attention. And some of the things that I put on my altar may not hold a functional purpose, but they certainly capture my attention. And one perhaps might consider them fit fetishes or um, power objects or whatever. Um, As for Hello Kitty, (laughs) um, that's not something I would put on my altar, but perhaps that's something that is capturing that specific specific practitioner's attention. I, I don't like to put things on my altar that aren't for whatever the altar is for. So I don't like putting my phone on my altar. I don't like even setting water glasses that I'm drinking from on my altar. I try it for me, the altar is also a tool and a specific section for the spirits or the gods to dwell upon and around, but no hello kitties. Um, for me, an altar. So, I mean, you could do however, what you want to do with your altar, but for me, I guess I'm a minimal. No, I'm not a minimalist. I think that everything should have a purpose on your altar. Like there should be a reason why it's there. Um, I, I, my personal thing I like to do is go on YouTube and like look at people's altars. Like those are my favorite videos. Um, but a lot of the time people have their altar and they have all this stuff on it and there's no reason why it's there. It's just there. Having an altar in itself has a purpose. Like it's there for doing work or it's there for worshiping the gods and knowing that and knowing there it's for a purpose things that should be on it should be there for a purpose. So if you're just putting something there just because it looks pretty and not particularly anything, you know, associated with the altar is for, I think you're doing a disservice to the altar, in my opinion. Um, Like if you're doing, you put something there that you're like, oh, I think my God would love this or my goddess would love this. I'm going to put it there. That's a purpose. You're doing it there in homage to your God. So I think that people really need to think about, hey, do I really need this on it? Does it serve a purpose for me? Or I'm just putting it there because I want it to look extra witchy. I would argue that putting it there because it looks witchy is a purpose in a way. I I know, I think I was talking about this with, with my housemate. I think the new type of thing that separates traditions and practices in witchcraft outside of initiated traditions is aesthetic like 
crystal witches and moon witches and things like that. It's all just aesthetics. Mm -hmm. So if a practitioner likes crystals, and so they fill their altar up with crystals because it it excites the mind, and when they're sitting in front of their altar, it opens them up to the magical processes. Great. Cool. I'm not going to do it because I'm not really a crystal person. I have some, but they've been gifted to me, and I, I put them in certain spots on my, my altar and my shrines because it fascinates me, and it fascinates the spirits that I pull in. But there you go. It has mm -hmm. a purpose. So as long as it has a purpose, it should be there. Like, just, like, simply for aesthetic reason and not, you know, to get you where you need to get to, then it doesn't have a purpose. Yeah. Correct. Are, are you saying also if it's... Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say that I, I think also that, that the... Um, there... At least from what I've seen, there doesn't seem to be much. I mean, obviously, this could also be a space issue. Um, but, you know, having, I guess, the concept of having separate altars, um, not just having everything to be on one altar. Um, and I think the, like, if you're going to have a specific space set up for, this is going to be the altar where I, you know, I do my magical workings. Um I personally wouldn't use that same space as a devotional altar slash ancestral altar slash uh, working altar and have it be multi-purpose unless you're going to break it down and build it back up for that specific purpose. Um, I think that those should be their own designated spaces. Like you can have a altar to yourself and have things that, you know, do make you happy, have things that do, excite you or do activate that that part of your mind and um i think that that would be a better place for that than necessarily something that's specifically either a working altar or a devotional altar to a specific deity or um an entity that you, that you work with uh I don't know, at least that, that's from what i've seen i think for for a lot of us in the modern age it's kind of a space issue mm -hmm. like the places that I've lived, I don't, ha I haven't had a lot of space. So I kind of partition the altar itself into different things. Like over here, I put my ancestral stuff right here. I put my God and goddess stuff over here as my familiars and, and things like that. Um, but now that I have more space, I have multiple shrines and altars all over the place, but I also have a large working altar that has little, reminders of various spirits like i have mm. a little skull for my ancestors that i put on my working altar when i'm doing work i'll bring it over from the working altar and put it there or uh familiar f fetishes and things like that that go on the working altar when i'm doing work and then they go back to their shrine when they're done mm -hmm. i personally used to have like shrines for all the gods that like i worship but what ends up happening is they get ignored mm -hmm. and I go to my altar. So for me, I like to compact things. So my altar, it serves as a shrine. And then the only thing that's separate from it is like my ancestor altar, which I set up like the beginning of this year, because that's something that I'm trying to work on. 
um, working with the ancestors because for a long time I didn't want to do that, but some new practice that I'm trying out. But um, I don't think that that belongs on my main altar, so I separated that. Speaking of ancestors, though, do you think that in working and honoring your ancestors, do you think that is an act of worship or do you think that is merely just veneration? We can't talk about this because I'm releasing an episode about ancestral veneration. So we can't use all of my ideas on your podcast. That's not fair. <laughs> but I, um, I, I, for me, I don't say ancestral worship. I say ancestral veneration. Mm-hmm. I guess, as Alex said earlier, that is a form of worship. But because they're so close to me, like I knew them in life, it feels weird to call it worshiping. Mm-hmm. You don't want to worship your Uncle Tom? When I... Um... Pardon? <laughs> so you don't want to worship your Uncle Tom? I don't have an Uncle Tom. I have a cousin Tom. Me. <laughs> we'll stop worshiping. We'll start worshiping your Uncle Tom. Um... Or your cousin Tom. <laughs> I am um, like I I guess I venerate and I honor them. Like even when like I'm I'm talking to them, I do it every Thursday. Um and there's no specific reason why. That's just the day that I started on. So I'm like, it's gonna do every Thursday. See, look, guys, it makes no sense, but I'm doing it every Thursday. There's no magical reason behind it. Um I just say, look, I honor the ones that I knew I name and then I say those who wish me well in this life, I make sure that like I, I put that there because you don't know who's down the line that, you know, you don't know who might come through. And I just, the ones I knew and the ones I didn't know, I just, I say, oh, if you wish me well, you know, I honor you and here are the things and that's it. And then I wait and next Thursday and do it again. But I guess it's, it is a form of worship, but like, it doesn't feel mm-hmm. that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, same. I will say, though, that um, at least for me and this, I wouldn't say it's a constant thing, but it is something that does, I guess, occur in my little brain whenever I'm doing some sort of ancestral um, veneration. <clears throat> uh, my connection to the... I guess the God um, in viewing them to be more like alongside that, that mother father figure. Um, My father passed away when I was three. And so whenever I do any sort of ancestral veneration and, and I either am talking to my dad or, or, you know, my great grandmother or whatever, I do tend to build that connection through them. So it's not necessarily that I'm viewing my father to be the God, um, but there is that connection of that father figure in that aspect of veneration. Whereas like there's that connection to, you know, that divine energy that, you know, connects us all or whatever. Um, and so I feel like there is an aspect of worship in that. And even like looking at my, my great grandmother, who was essentially like the matriarch of her family and she brought everybody together. You know, she essentially raised us all. And so in there is an aspect of viewing, I guess, the the crone of the goddess in her. Um, and so in a very loose way, I guess there there is a sense of worship in in venerating ancestors. However, my Uncle Tom, 
Um, not that I have an Amazon, but my, you know, any sort of like, I guess, extended family, I don't really have that connection, that same connection um, with them. But I think for specifically for close family members, there is that kind of understanding that, you know, they are of the gods as well in some sort of abstract way. Um, but yeah. There is no part of us that is not of the gods, not even after death. Probably. It's a good fucking quote. I can't help it. <laughs> and now I put it on my podcast page. I think. I probably did. You did. Yeah, that's all I got. Anything else you guys want to blurb about before we end it? Wait, that was the last no, question? I, I thought you had more. I literally only wrote four questions, so we just kept going. Oh, excuse me. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, is there anything question-wise? Ah. Well, no, no I think we kind of covered that, though. I was going to ask, like, what what is it about the worship and witchcraft that brought you Naked here? Things. But we kind of covered that mm-hmm, about, like... Mm-hmm. The nudity. 100%. The nudity. 100%. I don't like pants. Not necessarily other people's nudity. I just don't like clothes. <laughs> See, and here's the thing is like, I cannot wander around even my own home naked. It freaks me out. So, what? I know. Like, I won't even sit in my room naked unless I'm sleeping. I don't know what it is. I'm really weird about it in, in, in public. I love when, being naked. I just don't like being naked in my home. Because what if someone comes to the door? When I lived in a... Or what if someone sees me through a window and is blinded because I'm so pale? What do I do? <laughs> I mean, I think you should ask Ashley because she was very into Twilight oh and glowing skin. So maybe you have more to say about that. So when I lived in Miami, and my, my, <laughs> obviously my partner and, and my coven brother both lived with me. I was like, you know, I could technically walk around this house naked. Everybody in this house has seen me naked. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be true for them. But I could do it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I ever did do it. But <laughs> it was definitely a thought in my head. Because I don't like clothes. Also, it's Miami. It's fucking hot. <laughs> yeah, I'm really... I love clothing There's because I think I look better in, in clothing um, than I do naked. Um, but I, I also love being naked. I just don't like being naked in my house unless I'm like showering or having sex or bathing or, or, or sleeping. But I think ritual, love it. I love being naked outside. Put me outside. <laughs> I'll take my clothes off. I love it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we just, it's just a psychological thing. I think that you, um, we like what clothes do. We like the image it puts out for people. We love what it's it gives us. It's a sign us. that you shall be truly free. You shall be naked in your right. Uh, and when you're naked, you have none of those things. You have none of your security blankets, as correct. it were. To So that's why it's a good mood-altering mm-hmm. experience and ritual. When it, of that. when it comes to like, ritual things... I try to to try to do them only within ritual contexts. So like nudity, for example, 
I only do those within ritual contexts. Because otherwise, I think it would just kind of, for me, at least, this might not work for everybody. For me, it just kind of removes the mysticism from it. Ah, good. I have a good question. I have a good question. So we talk about worship and we're talking about that. Do you think it's better to worship the same way or different every time? Because we have a specific way we do things in our tradition that is technically the same way all the time for specific things. But in general, like, what do you guys think about that? Maybe outside of what we do traditionally, is this something you do all the time or something you have to do that's different every time or sporadically or whatever? Because to me personally, I always say that when you do something continuously, it builds power. Um, But then I do that majority of the time, but there's sometimes where I do something different that I like that um, then comes a part of my daily practice. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I love a repeated ritual. Um, I don't understand, for example, I don't understand people who are like, I don't like doing the same Sabbath every single year, blah, blah, blah. Like, why? Why would you want to change it? It's perfectly fine the way it is. It's lovely. I feel the same way. For me, for me, it's a meditative thing. If If you do the same thing over and over and over again, you don't fumble over the words or the actions. You can just do it and have an experience. That's why I like doing it. So I love repeated action. So something that I do regularly, I try to do it daily, but I'm in school right now, so I get a little flustered. But every night I do the same ritual. I I um, say a prayer to the goddess and I count her count beads while I pray. And, and then I give offerings and then I go to bed. And I do it the same way every single time. And because I do it the same way every single time, I can just not focus on the words I'm saying and sit there like having an experience in my body and checking in on my my body, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, tasting, smelling, etc. So I love a repeated ritual. And I think that it allows us to dig a groove, as my high priest would say, into the experience so that we can just enter into it more easily every single time. I think um, upon starting out, I think it's a great asset to your one, your own sanity and to your own practice to have that uh, structure and have that foundation uh, for your practice. How loose or how structured that is obviously is going to depend on the person. I tend to prefer it to be structured, but vaguely. Um like there is room for interpretation on a lot of the things, but you know, I have these specific things that I need to get done. How those things get done may change every circle. Um, depending on how I'm feeling that, that day, or if, you know, if I want to be more ecstatic, if I want to be more toned down and focus on not, not solely just the words, but focus on feeling the subtle energies that are around me, not just creating, you know, high energy things. Um, I think it really, but I think to get to that point, you need to have a great foundational, uh, structure of an understanding of what ritual is, how it works, how you yourself can get to that space. 
Um, so I think in the beginning, have structure, have something that you do consistently before you start branching out and doing different things every circle. Cause otherwise it creates a mess. It's chaotic and there can be power in that, but in the beginning, it will be very difficult for you to have an understanding of your own practice. Cause it's like, if it's different every time, how can you specifically hold on to things that give you power, hold on to things that can amplify what it is that you do. Um, and it, especially, you know, doing things differently every time it's difficult for you to understand the specific cues that help trigger that, that, that ritual mindset for you. It's like, Oh, this worked really well this time. Let me do it completely different some way, some other way. And oh, then it work at all. Um, I mean, it's good to experiment, but also you need to have some sort of foundation that you can build upon before going crazy. Not going crazy, but experimenting without any structure or without any growth, I should say. I think one of the beauties of our tradition is is how how much room there is for flexibility and how much room there is for spontaneous to use the word because i don't have another word shamanic experiences that we can have within the structure of our of our of our rituals and rites that's that's why i find so fascinating fascinating about our tradition what's interesting though is that um I mean, I'm pretty sure we've all been exposed to some kind of religion that our family practice, whether it's Catholicism, Hinduism, not that there's any Hindus here, but, you know, there's some structure there. As a person who was an atheist, whose family never practiced anything, didn't really do anything religious, I wonder how they would see that coming into witchcraft and how we worship the gods, like, and how it's, like, consistent, like, how would they see that like how is it like oh this consistent thing is going to do this for us like because they've never had that concept before i mean we we um at least i experience it all the time that people don't like the structure of rich of our rituals or 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 modern neo-pagan witchcraft rituals that things are done in a specific order and everything like that but I think um, all ceremony is ritual. We we have steps that we have to take when we when we do ritual. Brushing your teeth every day is a ritual. You do it in a you do things in a certain order to to get your teeth brushed. Um, bathing is a ritual that we do every day. When I do my my skincare cleanse, toner, exfoliant, moisturizer, I do that every day. Makes my skin look okay, moderately, moderately fine. Um, I think, I think, like I like I said before, structure is a meditative thing, and allow it allows us to get talker out of the way, and allow us to have an experience with the gods. Agreed. Well, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting us. 
um eric you said you mentioned earlier uh in your introduction that you have your own podcast and i know we we talked about it a little bit when you said you didn't want to talk too much about the ancestor stuff because you're going to talk about it on your podcast um where, where can they find your podcast and what's it called again yes it's the twisted ways podcast you can find it on spotify or the anchor app um it's myself and my co-host my housemate uh, magdalena uh, and we don't have a regular schedule for it, but we have about four episodes out right now. And they're all amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and you can find me in any comment or shady comment or sarcastic comment when there. I'm there in spirit cheering you on. That's where you can find me. I don't have an Instagram. <laughs> Alex is one of the mysteries. It's true. It's true. Alrighty, guys. Well, hail and farewell. And thank you guys for being on here again. And uh, have a good night. Good night. Bye.